when I was in, in, in Buna, um, the, ha- the church across the road was a Catholic church from my house with a school attached, and one day the sign outside the school read this, Pancake Tuesday, Ash Wednesday, Screen Printing Thursday. And for some reason that's always just stuck with me. In the, the Holy Week, Pancake Tuesday and the Catholic tradition have pancakes on the Tuesday. On Wednesday, they have their special Ash Wednesday service. And the school was just letting everybody know that they were also going to have screen printing on the Thursday. So whenever anyone says, oh, it's Ash Wednesday, I go, oh, good, screen printing Thursday is coming. That's stuck with me. We're now in the season known as Lent, the weeks before Easter, traditionally a time for Christians to give up sinful behavior and prepare themselves for the coming season. Time to repent and believe. Which, of course, reminds us of the words of Jesus. Let's read them together. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus is the one who tells us to repent and believe. And this is not a message just for Lent. This is a message for every day of the year because this is how Christians grow. And I say to my daughter, put your phone away. You're in church. Thank you very much. If anyone else out there is looking at their phone, you can also put it away, unless you're reading the Bible, in which case carry on. Thank you, my daughter. I love you very much. Now, Mark chapter 10, that's the thing to repent about. Mark chapter 10, Jesus says, gives himself a summary of all that he's come to do. Let's read together. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus has been saying this for a long time to his disciples, I've come to give my life as a ransom for many. And so the events that happen here in Mark chapter 14 are not a surprise to Jesus. They're all a part of the plan. They're all a part of the plan. In Mark's gospel, as we've been studying it over these two years now, The great question is, who is Jesus? Who is this man? We have watched him preach the good news, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, restore the blind and the mute, and raise the dead. And all of this has culminated in Jesus asking his disciples, who do you say that I am? And receiving the answer, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And although that is the right answer, it is not the full answer because Jesus agrees with what they said, not what they meant. The disciples want a warrior Messiah. They want an earthly king who will swing a sword and destroy the hated Romans and conquer the world, or at least a good portion of the world. And Jesus is not that kind of Messiah. He has come not to be served, but to serve. Not to sit on a throne and rule, but instead to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus has told the disciples many times over these last months and days that this is his purpose, to go up to Jerusalem, to be betrayed, to be handed over, to suffer and to die. And Jesus is orchestrating events in such a way that he will be killed at the right moment and in the right way. 
The first 10 chapters of Mark have dealt with the three years or so of Jesus' ministry. The next four chapters have dealt with the last week of his ministry. And here in chapter 14, we're down to the last few hours of Jesus' earthly life. The pace changes and the story becomes much more narrative, we'll see over the next few weeks, telling us the things that happened to Jesus less about what Jesus says or does. But we must never forget that all of this, Jesus is in control. These things that are happening to him are his choice. As he is obedient to his purpose, as he is obedient to his Father, as he is obedient to give his life as a ransom for many. So if you've got your Bibles there, you might like to open to Mark chapter 14. Well, the words are here on the screen. We'll go through it verse by verse and make some notes as we go. Rise, let us go, in verse 42. Here comes my betrayer. After the previous part of this story of Jesus praying in the garden and the disciples falling asleep, Jesus sees the group coming to arrest him. Even now there is time to jump the wall and run for the hills in the dark. But instead, Jesus wakes the sleeping disciples. He doesn't want them caught unawares. And he goes to meet the crowd. As he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. They have come with weapons, led by Judas, the informant who knows where he is leading them. They're described as being the men of the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, political parties that are normally at each other's throats, but united here in their fear and hatred of Jesus. Verse 44, now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them, The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. We are often so deep in our Christian tradition that we think Jesus stood out in a crowd with a golden halo above his piercing blue eyes and his dramatic blonde hair. Have you seen those pictures? Very popular in... Western countries in the 1950s of Jesus looking like some kind of blonde surfing hippie. As if he was the only one wearing white clothes in a world of greys and browns. But the opposite is true. Jesus looked just like any other Jewish man of the first century. The prophet Isaiah makes the point, there was nothing about him that we should have noticed him. And in the dark... With only burning torches for light, it took an intimate friend to identify the wanted man, one of the twelve, who knew where Jesus and the crew were spending the night and could pick, pick one man out of a crowd, get close to him and hold on to him until the guards could close around. But of course Judas has misunderstood the entire thing. Rather than being surprised, Jesus has been expecting this moment, preparing for it. Rather than resisting or running or pulling away from Judas, 
Jesus just stands there, and the men seized Jesus and arrested him. So far, everything has been going according to Jesus' plan. And then Peter gets carried away. Verse 47, Then one of those standing there near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Mark doesn't tell us that it's Peter who draws the sword, and neither do Matthew or Luke. But John, the last of the disciples to write his gospel, decides at the time for this mystery to be unveiled, and he tells the full story. Perhaps Peter is dead by this time, and it's okay for John to write what actually happened. And So in John chapter 18 we read, Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. And just for good measure, John tells us the servant's name was Malchus. John makes the point that these things are not happening in mystery or the abstract. These are real people hurting each other. John goes on to say, Jesus said, Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? We've talked a lot about the cup and what that means, the suffering. Shall I not go through with my mission? Peter, don't interfere. Don't get in the way. Jesus has spent three years with these men, these disciples, these apostles. These are the 12, the cream of the crop, telling them about the kingdom of God, teaching them about turning the other cheek and not returning violence with violence, about praying and blessing enemies rather than fighting back. And here is Peter. One of the twelve, one of the three, chief of the apostles, pulling out a sword and hacking some bloke's ear off. I do not think this is part of the plan at all. Jesus does not want a scuffle here, not resistance, and he shuts down the violence quickly and thoroughly. This is not how Jesus, this is not how Jesus wants his disciples to behave. And Matthew and Luke's version of this story reinforce this. In Matthew chapter 26, Matthew writes Jesus saying, Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Powerful and important words that we need to remember. All who draw the sword will die by the sword. Jesus goes on saying to Peter, Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? The Roman legion is about 10,000 men. So Jesus is saying, Don't you think I can just say the word and have 120,000 angels turn up on the spot? Do you think I need your sword, Peter? I don't need your sword. Put it away. That's not what we're about. And Jesus goes on, Matthew says to say, but how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? Jesus has a plan. He is fulfilling the scriptures. And if Jesus wanted a fight, he could bring down all the legions of angels standing by. But that would stop the plan. That would stop the mission that Jesus is about. And Luke's gospel tells the same story in a slightly different way. When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. In this situation, the disciples are asking permission 
on their way to doing it. It's that old saying, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Here the disciples are saying, Lord, do you want us to hit him even as they're hitting him? They're going to ask for forgiveness after the fact. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And if only the church had taken Jesus as that instruction is being to us today as well, no more of this. Let this be the last time someone swings the sword in the name of Jesus. But sadly, it hasn't turned out to be the case. Jesus answered, no more of this. He touched the man's ear and healed him. Jesus' team are the team healing and sacrifice, not the team of violence and warfare. Jesus fights in a different way. But back to Mark. Jesus says, verse 48, Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. It's a fair observation. Jesus has been publicly in the temple all week, teaching and debating and going about without any kind of hindrance. The religious leaders could have arrested him at any moment, but instead they've chosen to do it in the dead of night, relying on the kiss of a traitor, going with an armed company, as if Jesus were a rabble-rousing revolutionary instead of just a teacher with a message of peace and hope. But the religious leaders have never understood that about Jesus. And so it is with all people in power. They think that everyone is just like them, obsessed with power and position, and willing to do anything to get it. The idea that there's anyone completely uninterested in those things is a challenge and unthinkable to them. Verse 50, then everyone deserted him and fled. This running away is not a betrayal, but is indeed a part of the plan. Jesus has woken the disciples and given them forewarning so that they can escape. In John's gospel, in John's chapter 18, again, before the cutting off the ear, Jesus says to the crowd, I'm, they've come and he says, who are you looking for? And he says, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am he. John has some extra bits in there and I encourage you to read John chapter 18 for that. But at the end he says, I told you, I'm the one you're looking for. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. Jesus says to the crowd, you just want me, you don't want these guys. And John says, this happened so the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave to me. It was part of the plan that the disciples would run away. It was part of the plan that not one of them would be arrested, which is why I think Jesus is so annoyed with Peter pulling out his sword. Imagine in that scuffle that somebody stabs Jesus and he dies in the wrong way at the wrong time. He doesn't want that. He's come to die in the right place at exactly the right moment. He doesn't want people scuffling in the dark. A traitor's kiss was expected and the fleeing disciples was also expected. Did Jesus know about the swords and the attack on the servant's ear in advance? 
For my money, that's the real betrayal of this story. Why is it important that the disciples escape, run away, scatter into the darkness? Well, number one, because it's Jesus that has come to give his life as a ransom for many, not the apostles. He has come to be the sacrifice, not them. Tradition and religion has given the apostles far too prominent a role in the historical faith and added to them a whole bunch of other saints. How much more complicated would the Easter story be if Peter and John had been crucified right next to Jesus that day? Too many people get obsessed with the various saints and the holy people and the theologians through the centuries. This story is all about Jesus, who he is and what he has done for us. And Part of what he has done is to die alone as the perfect sacrifice. And Secondly, the disciples have a job to do. Their primary role here is to survive the next few days to witness the resurrection and then live to share the good news about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, to preserve and pass on his teaching. And they can't do that if they're killed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Their mission is to live and to share. And thirdly, it's foretold that this is what would happen. In the Scriptures, in Isaiah, in Psalm 22, In Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 17, I strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. This has been seen from the beginning. This is part of the plan. Are there any questions this morning before I conclude? For those visiting, I'd like to stop and see if there are questions. We've got a hand over here. So Letitia's pointing out that Jesus knew that some of them had swords because in, in Luke's gospel, as you read the story, Luke chapter 22, yes, um, they say Jesus gives a parable, a teaching about now is the time to put your swords away and there's trouble's going to come and all these things. And two of the disciples go, look, we got two swords. And Jesus says, that's enough. He, do, he shuts them down. They, there's 12 of them. They got two swords. Well, that's enough to see off a, a robber maybe. But Jesus isn't interested in that, and he tells them that's enough. Yes, he knew they had swords, but I think he gets really annoyed when he sees the bloke chop off his ear. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want that. I could be wrong about that. Maybe that's been foretold for a 1,000 years, 2,000 years, since the creation of time as well. I don't see that in the Scriptures. Any other questions? Yes. Hmm. Amen, brother. Yes. So Lyndon's making the very good point that Peter had a, a steep learning curve and had something within him. He was always making mistakes, but always being redeemed by that. Always being the best came out of that. So even here, as Peter is doing exactly the wrong thing, Jesus isn't 
cursing him out or condemning him to hell or anything. He's saying, Peter, don't do that. And Jesus steps in to fix the problem, to put the man's ear back on and solve the issue. So, yes, we make mistakes and we do things wrong all the time. We'll come to that in a moment, yes. This is part of the story of our life as well. Are there any other questions or comments before I conclude? All right. No one wants to know about the naked man? We'll move on. Just to say, verses 51 and 52, tradition tells us that this is Mark, the writer of the gospel, that he's too young to be a proper disciple with the others, so a young man can be translated as a teenager or a boy. And Mark seems to insert himself into the story, saying, this is what happened to me that night. That's what tradition tells us. We don't know. The text doesn't tell us who this man is. Nowhere else in the Bible anything about this. Don't over-spiritualize it. We'll find out one day in eternity. The point I want to make is Jesus is in control of this situation. He has had time of prayer. He's had his time of prayer with his father. He's made the decision to follow through with the plan. Not my will, but yours be done, he said. Judas arrives on schedule and identifies Jesus with a kiss. Again, part of the plan. There's a slight scuffle and a servant has an ear removed by an overly zealous disciple. Probably not part of the plan, but Jesus puts a stop to that. He's still in control. He stops the scuffle before it gets out of control and heals the man. The disciples run away into the night as part of the plan. I've often heard people be surprised and angry with the disciples, as if we should hold them in contempt. How could they run away? They'd been with Jesus for all these years. Why weren't they willing to stand up and fight with him? If I'd been there, oh. If I'd been there, I would have run away very, very quickly too. Because it was part of the plan that they run away. It wasn't their job to die that night. It might have done more harm than good if they'd hung around. Jesus has come to earth for a purpose. To give his life as a ransom for many. And disciples pulling out swords and taking swings at their enemies is never a part of Jesus' plan. We need to get out of the way. Not make the story about us. Make it all about Jesus. The song I've chosen for reflection this morning is a Salvation Army song. Some of you will know this one. It says a simple message. Though you failed him and how you failed him, though you have failed him, God loves you. The proof is Jesus. Look at Jesus and learn from Jesus. God loves you. Even here as the disciples are running away, I don't think Jesus is disappointed them or disgusted with them or horrified that they're abandoning them. I think he's smiling and nodding to himself and saying, good, they've all gotten away. They'll come back through the night to witness the other events. We'll see that as we read the rest of the story of of Peter and of John and the other disciples coming and seeing the trial and witnessing these events. And Peter's still going to deny Jesus through the course of the night and say, I never knew the man. But Jesus still loves him. He still has a plan for him. And Jesus has a plan and a purpose for you. No matter how you have failed him, no matter how you have let him down, 
He has a plan for you to redeem you, to restore you, to forgive you, to make you new again. So my message to you today is the same it's been for these last two and a bit years. Repent and believe. Turn away from your failures. That's yesterday. Bring them to the Lord. Admit where you've gone wrong. Ask for forgiveness. Ask for strength. And start again. Father God, today we can each and every one of us think of a time that we've made a real pig's breakfast of your plans. Whether that's saying the wrong word at the wrong time or saying the right word at the wrong time or saying the right word at the wrong time. Father God, for many, many other things, there are times when we have failed you and let you down. Father God, I thank you that you love us. And the proof of that love is Jesus, that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. Father God, I pray this morning, if there are people here who are trapped in their sin and failure, that you would speak to them by your Holy Spirit, that you would bring them to a place of repentance and faith, that you would help them to unload those issues, to bring them to the foot of the cross and leave them there. Father God, I want to thank you this morning for Jesus and who he is and what he has done. And thank you that he is a saviour for all the world. Help us, each one, to turn to him, to follow him, to trust in him. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.